Does history matter? Well, that's the question today. As history is changed, ignored, or even revised, we have a situation today where the question is, does history matter? And I believe it does. A clear path forward requires looking back and learning. Good public policy requires human connection. It's a consideration of the facts, applying common sense, and innovation. It's urban. It's rural. It's real life. We all have something to contribute. We all have a responsibility to get informed because there's a little piece of Canada in all of us, isn't there? Let's learn on this path together. This is Leaders on the Frontier. I'm very excited today to have a very special guest, Dr. Jerry Bowler. Jerry is a historian and also a senior fellow with the Frontier Center for Public Policy. And a warm welcome, Jerry. Glad to be here. Well, Jerry, we're glad that you're here today because, um, you know, history is important. And uh, I want to just be upfront with the question, why should Canadians care about history? Canadians should care about history because it is a deep, deep part of being a Canadian. You can't be anything without history. You can't be a family member. You can't be an individual. You certainly can't be a citizen unless you have memory. And history um, of a nation is our collective memory. So in many ways, our memory is our story. And everybody has a story, both individually as a community, but also as a nation. Is that right? Absolutely. And the stories that we tell about ourselves um, profoundly affect uh, how we live, how we view the government and our neighbors, and how we proceed into the future. And how we we treat each other, is that right? Well, true. Um, Are are we neighbors? Are we bound in some project together? Um, Nationhood implies that, but lately um, uh, people have been working against that concept. All right. So I do want to get get to that that issue in in a second here, but one of the questions I do have is about the story of our incredible country, Canada. I think of so many stories. I think of, well, the railway. I think of the explorers. I think of the Aboriginal peoples. I think of um, this incredible country founded sea to sea. So what, in your mind, as a historian, makes this country, Canada, so special? I think one of the, the special things about it is uh, our inheritance Um, from the British and what Canadians did in the 19th century to create a new kind of democracy. Um, We worked together, um, uh, Canadian politicians and and British politicians, to create an independent dominion, um, a, a process that was imitated around the world, places like India, uh, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Jamaica, um, all these places are um, essentially run on the model that uh, Canada negotiated in the middle of the 19th century. That, that's one thing. Uh, it, it is a thing because it is so blinking successful. It, mm-hmm. it is a, a wonderful model uh, for the world. There are all kinds of unsuccessful models of governance, but who has had um, the bliss of uh, uninterrupted uh, democracy the way the Anglosphere has. Ain't nobody. 
Yeah, um, no, it's, 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 a, it's a very powerful reminder, Jerry. In fact, you know, when you think of it, it's not like we've had a civil war. Like our our neighbors to the south, the United States had a massive civil war. And that's a story of many countries around the world, isn't it? Is, is one of violence where, in fact, we've been able to live peacefully together as such that we've been successful. And we still, to this day, we have a record number of people coming to our country. I think it's almost a million people. It's incredible, isn't it? It is. Uh, we are a model. Um, our combination of, of a market economy, our history of judicial fairness, our personal attitudes of, of tolerance and acceptance, these things aren't accidental. They, they don't happen um, by a, a stroke of luck. They are carried out generation after generation. Families, communities, provinces, federal government agree that these are Canadian values. And now we have a government that denies there's such a thing as a Canadian okay. value. So when you say Canadian values, you mean in the sense that, like, so, so give me an example. Can you tell me more about that? Sure. There are a lot of things that make Canada successful that don't appear in laws. Um, things like cooperation, helping your neighbor, um, being friendly and welcoming, um, uh, Tremendous outreach uh, to uh, refugees, to asylum seekers, to migrants. Uh, these things aren't mandated by the government, but they're things that Canadians agree on. Um, so traditions or values like the rule of law, like that no one is above the law, including the, the king or the queen or the prime minister, or things like evidence or facts, those are important values that have made our society pretty successful, would you say? Well, look, we're a high trust culture. Um, what an incredible thing to have. Um, I, I, I had uh, some bicycles for sale one time and some um, foreign students from the university came and to look at them. I said, well, take them for a ride, go try them out. Mm -hmm. He was astonished that I would let my bicycle out of sight, but that's what a high trust culture does. We have um, a revenue gathering system that pretty much relies on what people tell the government about, about what we made. Mm -hmm. um, we lose that at our peril. Uh, again, that's not a government mandate. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that has culturally developed uh, over the centuries that uh, the Europeans have been in North America. But, but Jerry, I think that's a brilliant insight in the sense that in many ways, you're citing the most important foundational strength that makes our country. It's not the the, the beautiful mountains, the prairies, and and the oceans. It's 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 really the people and that cultural ethos and that tradition of how we care for each other as citizens, how we love each other. Is that is that not right? Well, I'm not sure we ever managed love. Okay. <laughs> There are great, great moments in Canadian history where, where love is not on display, but we certainly regard each other as important. We mm -hmm. negotiate, we talk, we discuss, yeah. we don't force. We don't kill um, each other, in other words. Exactly. Um, it's it's a, th a thing that um, comes out of centuries of experiment, and, mm. and we are um, the lucky... Um, lab results of mm -hmm. um, this British tradition 
of law and increasing democracy. So we've inherited this incredible tradition that goes back some thousand years and more. And that's something that is incredibly valuable because not only is it about our prosperity, like you can't, you can't have a prosperous society. And that's really only been in the last 200 years or so that we've had a, you know, such a prosperous society that we can even have this kind of technological conversation that we're having now, um, let alone live in peace and harmony and work together and even have healthy debate about what the truth is or what the facts are. Is that right? Well, it's, uh, you, you touched on it with, with the word debate. Um, mm -hmm. Canadians have tended to settle things by debate. And the, the current trend of, of cancel culture, of decree of things to be out of bounds, the science is settled, uh, this is genocide, this is undeniable. Um, if you disagree, you are not just a bigot, you are probably worthy of being uh, jailed. Mm -hmm. um, so and unless we agree um, that debate is, is the Canadian way, the way forward, we are in for big trouble because okay. it always rebounds. Any kind of tyranny will end up eating its own children. So those who are triumphantly uh, canceling, blocking, deplatforming today um, will undoubtedly find themselves on the opposite end when that dialectic works its way through. So that, that's a really um, powerful warning to all of us to, to cherish these traditions and these values that have allowed us to become so successful as a nation. So you're, you've been very critical um, of the Canadian government's um, attempt to erase or change uh, those traditions or history. So I'd like to start off with an example um, with um, uh, Canada's passport that just came out uh, the last few weeks, the changes. And it's interesting, there was no public debate, it was just announced. Um, so let's just use an example. I think we've got an image here that we can bring up. Here's an example of um, the new uh, part of the passport. We've gone from really an incredible uh historically based passport to, well, there's a snowflake, there's a number of stick people, there's even a, a squirrel eating a nut. Um, they took away Nellie McClung, uh, took away Terry Fox, who united a nation, um, even Vimy Ridge. Do, do those things matter as symbols, Jerry, in your mind? They should. Um, and I was delighted to see them on the passport. Uh, that's the kind of thing that should be on our currency. There should be pictures of them in every public building. Um, you want to see them um, on coins. Um, everything that uh, stamps, the things that we do as a nation should reflect the ties that bind us. Um, I'm not sure chipmunks are, are especially the, um, the binding agent that a nation uh, in crisis uh, really needs. And it, it's typical of, of this trend in thought that erases everything that's real with the abstract. Hmm. Um, this is, uh, uh, well, let, me, let me complain about the metric system, for example. <laughs> the metric system is, is a wonderful, rational notion. Uh, if you accept that one ten billionth of the distance from the North Pole to Paris is the standard by which you are, you're going to, to measure everything. I mean, divisible by 10 is fine. 
Um, but I'm old enough to remember when the metric system was introduced. Um, I use the metric system uh, in, in my science classes. I'm perfectly happy with milliliters and, and uh, meters and so on. But uh, the government uh, under Pierre Trudeau decreed that for some reason, um, to catch up with the rest of the world, we ought to convert to the metric system, despite the fact that our biggest trading partner uh, by far was the United States that still uses uh, imperial measurement. Hmm. All point. of a sudden, things became abstract. You used to know what a foot was. A hmm. foot was about the size of your foot. Right. A yard was, you know, about the length of your arm. You, mm -hmm. you knew um, what a mile was, even though it had to be divided by 5,280 feet or 1,760 yards. Um, and a, an inch was three barley corns uh, across the thumb. So all of this stuff had meaning, and yet it's replaced by something quite abstract. So, so these, it, it's like you're challenging us to think about how these seemingly smaller things are historical references that matter to our tradition and our way of thinking and relating to each other and the cost as well economically. Now, when it comes to the passport, one of the things that strikes me about the passport is that they've taken really all the individuals, the people that, that kind of represent the incredible diversity of the Canadian story out of the passport. Like you don't have those heroes um, that are like Nellie McClung and Terry Fox and let alone the, you know, what the Battle of Vimy Ridge represented in terms of people who love their country so much that they gave their lives uh, in that war. I mean, it seems that, does that strike you as well, Jerry? Well, it's, it's the real to the abstract. Um, mm. We know Terry Fox's story. Uh, we admire him. We know what went on, or we should know what went on at Vimy Ridge. There are geographical um, pictures in, in the passport as well of real places. This is what a particular place in Newfoundland looks like. This is what the prairies look like. That's, that anchors us. We nod and we say, yeah, that's, that's us. Mm -hmm. But what happens when you wipe away the past and, and present a, a blank space or abstract symbols? You've got nothing. And that is exactly what a certain kind of government wants. A certain kinds of government want people unanchored from the past, unanchored from meaning, so that they can impose new values on them. This is what every revolution, back to the French Revolution in the 1790s has done. All right. Well, speaking of revolution, I want to show some pictures as well of one of a number of examples in Canada where people are like a mob attacking uh, and vandalizing uh, significant statues that represent our history. So I want to turn now to these pictures of the taking down of the, um, the statue of uh, Queen Victoria, no less, on the grounds of the Manitoba legislature. Um, so these pictures, uh, this is the example of the statue being torn down. And this is on July 1st, Canada Day. Uh, 2021. Um, so as you can see, it's it's been vandalized. And to this date, um, the statue has not been rebuilt. Um, so should we care about that? Was Queen Victoria, was she just all bad and, and evil? I know no one's perfect, but how do we put that into perspective, Jerry? 
Queen Victoria was the person with whom the Aboriginal tribes of the prairies signed the treaties, the so-called sacred treaties. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they're going to attack that symbol, then it, it seems to me a, a little counterproductive. But what Victoria means to most people, or certainly meant to the people that, that set her statue up on the legislative grounds, was she stands for this British tradition of rule by law, of democracy, of creating a country that bound two rather hostile groups together in an arrangement that has uh, worked out well for both of us. It's um, People didn't give it a lot of chance, a lot of hopes. Back in the 1860s, we were threatened by any number of things and, uh, and have been ever since. Um, so you're saying that, that so, this is a, an important mm-hmm. symbol of the founding of our, our nation as Canada and working together across peoples, including with Aboriginal peoples, ironically. So tearing down the statue doesn't really make any historical sense, does it, Jerry? No. Well, it, 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 it makes sense to a certain mindset. Okay. And that that is to show contempt for the Canadian project. Uh, all of these things are united to um, discredit Canada. Um, there was what, a time. What do, you, what do you mean by discredit Canada? Well, remember um, when Canada always used to appear at the tops of happiest countries, most successful countries, least mm-hmm. corrupt countries. That was thing that governments, even liberal governments under Chrétien, for example, uh, trumpeted. Look at what we've done. And look indeed at what we had done. But the attitude of of, of the government today is is one of shame, that Canadians should be ashamed of our past, that we are a nation of genocide um, built on stolen land. Um, Well... This enables all kinds of um, social engineering that otherwise would have been impossible. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's been an enormously successful campaign. I mean, most people uh, believe in that. Uh, all our institutions say so. Uh, the Canadian Museum of Human Rights, a, a museum one might have thought uh, staffed by um, professional academics who, who know truth from a lie uh, have been foremost in um, promoting the, the notion of, of Canada as a genocidal state. Okay, so, so, it, so Jerry, just to put this in perspective, you're not against debate and people's different perspectives, but what, what is going on here is something different. It's almost like they're trying to smear Canada as all bad, when in fact, we know that Canada is a very successful nation. It's a very tolerant nation. Uh, no one is perfect, but we have an incredible nation, but they want to they want to paint it all as as dark terms. And so I do want to go through a little bit about how they're going about that. And I know you've you've said things like they're either ignoring history, they're changing history or changing the language or erasing history. So let's just talk about erasing history. How are they going about erasing history? Can you give some examples? Yes, um, we can talk about it in terms of disappearing statues. Okay, so this uh, Queen Victoria statue is an example of erasing yeah. history. John A. Macdonald, where is he now? Yeah. He's behind um, uh, plywood. 
Right. He, he is a figure of shame taken out of, of, of legislatures and, and, yeah. and put in, in the storm room. And, and this is absurd it. because, you know, Sir Johnny MacDonald was an incredible prime minister, um, a very uh, insightful leader who brought this nation together. And it's interesting, you know, I looked at a, a tourism brochure um, a few weeks ago for the city of Kingston, where um, mm-hmm. it was the traditional homework of uh, Sir John A. And um, that's where a statue was taken down. And, and there was almost no reference um, that I saw to that wonderful home. It's, it's just, it's utterly bizarre. So they're erasing history. Um, what about ignoring history? What do you mean by that? Well, there are all kinds of things that Canadians ought to be proud of. The primary one is that we are not Americans. Not, not that we have anything against Americans, but mm-hmm. Americans have tried again and again and again to take over the country militarily. Mm-hmm. How many Canadians, how many Canadian school kids can tell you of the ways and the battles with which we rebuffed them? Uh, we like don't the War talk. of 1812? Are you talking about that? Um, not just the War of 1812, um, the invasion of 1775-76, the invasions from 1866 to 1866 or 1868 uh, carried out from Manitoba East um, by the Fenian Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, right. Yeah, so these are all important examples of ignoring history. What about changing history? What do you mean by that? Well, uh, chief among those is, is the uh, Indian Residential School Project. Mm-hmm. which was an ambitious attempt to acclimatize prairie natives to the 19th century, to do to them what every school now does to immigrants from Nigeria and, and Kazakhstan, mm-hmm. uh, to teach them English, to teach them uh, the ways of a market economy, and to um, provide them with uh, rudimentary skills to get them into a position of self, um, self-supporting. self We've changed that to uh, a history of shame, genocide, murder, rape, um, torture, uh, unbelievable stories mm-hmm. believed uh, in all innocence by the majority of Canadians. But we, you're, you're, uh, surely you're not denying, though, that there were abuses or, or terrible mistakes made at residential schools, though, like... It residential school system was as every government initiative uh, from the 19th century on was underfunded. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would never send my child to a boarding school. The, the ills of, of a boarding school are well known to everybody. So an underfunded, um, under-supervised system produced individual harm. In, mm-hmm. in many cases. Um, and, and, and in on that the other context, hand, we, we know, Jerry, how many people um, attended those residential schools? I've, I've read the original report. It's some 3,200 pages. I don't think hardly anyone has. Uh, but how many people attended those residential schools? Well, you could read those 3,200 pages and you wouldn't get an answer because that's, that, that's not known um, to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. But the government estimate un, under uh, Prime Minister Harper was 150,000. Mm-hmm. So what, what that means is that about a third of Native youth attended um, a residential school during the years that they were open. Um, from the 1950s on, most of the attendees 
were um, there for uh, social welfare purposes, that mm -hmm. their homes or their home reserves were considered unsafe and that uh, the IRS system was in fact a place of refuge. Okay, so, but in that context, uh, we know the last um, two years there's been claims about mass graves uh, regarding the residential schools, and that's all part of that narrative of genocide. And unfortunately, it's, it's it, it, you know, it's tragic. There's been a lot of voices calling for evidence of this, and there's been no evidence found to date. Is that accurate? That is accurate. What we have, in fact, are Schrodinger's graves. There's Sorry, pardon me, what kind of grave? Do you know the uh, the story of Schrodinger's cat? Uh, it, it's a mind experiment in, in which a cat is inside a box, and it may be dead or it may not be dead, but we don't know until we open the box. So these graves, are they graves? Are they sewer pipes, or underground anomalies? Um, it, it profits a certain class of people that those sites not be investigated. As long as they are presumed to be graves, they can be a source of funding. A hundred million dollars has been allocated for the unearthing of these so-called graves. And it, it serves um, government ministers as, as a tool with which to belabor people as deniers, as, as if we were uh, on a par with people denying the Nazi Holocaust. The but, but, but just to clarify, so why? It, so you're saying that there are parties, even elected officials, that have an interest in changing history. Um, when these types of claims, I know that people were horrified. Canadians were horrified by these types of claims, and yet there's been no proper police investigation, like you would with any uh, claim regarding a crime scene. You would investigate it with care and attention to getting at the facts, but that's not happened. So why why do you think some elected officials have an interest in not getting at that facts and evidence and letting this kind of um, terrible claim continue to be unanswered? Because it's part of the campaign to remake the Canadian identity from a congenial, prosperous nation to a nation living in shame that should be subject to interesting new laws on uh, race, gender, and climate. Okay. So this is, this is kind of almost hard to believe. I think a lot of Canadians would be shocked that people could be so cynical that they would kind of cast these kinds of aspersions and not look at it through a normal process and rule of law to evidence. And it seems like to even raise these questions is to be criticized and be demonized as a racist or or not caring about uh, fellow Canadians, including Aboriginal Canadians, when in fact it's just the opposite. Because if you're making up these claims, um, you're kind of manipulating people's own story and, and historical tragedy that for those people that were abused. Is that a fair comment? Uh, I was on Twitter today looking at um, someone who had made that very point that it does nobody any good to uh, leave these graves uh, or these sites uninvestigated. Um, that truth was an important consideration. And um, the, the person who posted that was not just called um, uh, a, a bigot or a racist. He, he was an enthusiast for genocide. Oh my, wow. So this is crazy. This is kind of like the typical 
logical fallacy employed by people who don't want to debate the facts or the arguments. They um, just attack people like they're ad hominem attacks. That's what's going on here, is it? It is. Um, and ad hominem, uh, now we have to include, um, again, we go back to the French Revolution, the Nazi Revolution, the Russian mm -hmm. Revolution. What you say doesn't matter, but who you are in saying it matters. As, Sorry, can you repeat that again? Can, male, that I'm, I'm disqualified. Sorry, um, can you repeat that? Sure. The class you come from, your gender, your skin color, that's what determines truth, not what you say. So not the quality of the argument, but rather who not. you are. It's who makes the argument. But that's um, crazy. That's like a, a foreign value to Canada. That's like a foreign ideology, is it not? Like a, a Well, it's the kind of thing that people get up to during wartime. It, it, it is um, a reductio ad, um, far beyond absurdum. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, it, it's the kind of uh, ab abandonment of, of nuance and restraint that people get when they're in a life and death struggle. And that's what these people believe they're in. They're on a, in a struggle for the Canadian soul, uh, in a struggle for the planet, uh, in a struggle for uh, gender justice. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the story matters much more than the truth. The narrative with a capital wow. N rules. So it, it, it's, it's really sad because we have very important issues, including the environment to relationships and, and trying to, you know, support the prosperity and freedom of Aboriginal people. Yet that's kind of not what this is about, this cultural revolution. It's it's really like Maoist China, where they were ripping everything down, uh, tearing down history, tearing down values as a way to kind of revolutionize or create a new future. Is that, am I being four, Destroy the four olds old thoughts, old practices, old superstitions, and so on. Um, every revolution wants to wipe the slate clean mm -hmm. to create new man. Wow. In this case, new Canadian. Uh, and as Stalin said, if you break a few few eggs in the process, then it was well worth it as you, you know, as we head to, uh, to chaos and, and uh, disorder and frankly, a lack of rational thought and evidence. It's, it's kind of disturbing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it is if, if you're on the wrong end of it. If you're not, then you can bask in the glow of uh, a satisfied soul to be on the righteous majority. I, I would very much love to be comforted that um, 39 million Canadians agree with me instead of the threats and, 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 and stuff that I get um, my venture opinions. Wow. So I do want to just talk a little bit about then, where does this toxic kind of ideology come from? Um, where these there's this movement of rewriting history? Is it coming ironically from, I mean, you've been a university professor, I've been involved in uh, um, post-secondary education. Is this the slow train wreck that's been happening now for decades in universities? Is this where this junk comes from? Much of it does. Um, Sadly to say, um, the the poison um, has always been there. We, but when when 
one side grossly outnumbers the other, then it, then it gets really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 1950s, um, the right persecuted the left in Canadian universities. Uh, there were communist witch hunts, homosexual witch hunts, and so mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, the left ha- has got the upper hand. I blame it on a number of trends, particularly post-modernity, which says that there is no truth with a capital T. There are only stories. There are only narratives. That um, science is what scientists agree on. That um, history is is the lie told by the powers that be. There's a you read Foucault, there's a, a, a combination between knowledge and power. Mm-hmm. And you can only know what the powers that be want you to know. Okay, so, so you've, you've gone through some complex concepts here philosophically. But the point is that there's a certain set of academics that have been advocating for years that there is no truth. Um, yes. You make up your own truth. Is that the bottom yes. line? Yeah, quite so. Wow, um, that, that is bizarre. That's nuts, isn't it? Well, it's destroyed academia you can take a look at enrollment in the humanities and see how it's it's plummeted nobody has any faith in the power of history or literature or philosophy anymore since they're just stories that people make up and you know there's only one set of stories that's allowed at a time um, so if, if you don't like the you know particular type that's being peddled uh, why bother so what about the motivations, the psychological motivations? What motivation or benefit is there to kind of go along with this crazy train of making up history and making up your own truth? Um, why is that? Is it because you can feel morally superior? Well, there is a, a huge uh, element of that. Um, when you get a prime minister showing up at an imaginary grave carrying a teddy bear, you have lowered the rational tone a great deal and upped the emotional content. Mm. Um, when he arrives at, a, at, a, at an apology um, to natives for um, actions of the British government before Canada existed, riding a white horse wearing a buckskin jacket, uh, again, um, symbolism, emotion, mm-hmm. um, the feeling you get in a 1933 Nuremberg rally mm. uh, is what they're after. This, this. So, so what would you recommend in terms of leadership? What, what should we be doing, uh, Dr. Bowler? How do we bring a more of a, frankly, a caring, rational discussion regarding our history? How do we go at that? We... It's really, really hard, and we're losing. But the point is, you can't surrender. Uh, poor Jim McRae, uh, former um, Manitoba cabinet minister, um, was appointed uh, to a commission. Um, it was discovered that he had wrong thought about the Indian residential school system. And uh, this made him an object of shame and he decided to resign. He should not have resigned. You don't make any friends by giving in to your opponents. Mm -hmm. You have to be stubborn and say, sorry, I believe what I believe. And so instead of being commended for his thoughtful questions about the importance of truth and evidence, uh, he was uh, asked to resign. So 
this is an example where people then are canceled or quote canceled uh, because they would dare question these types of recasting of history and and how dare they ask questions. Is that it? Let me give you such a trivial example. Um, my friend uh, Rod Clifton, who has two PhDs, a professor emeritus, an enormously um, revered scholar, a veteran of, of uh, being an instructor at Indian residential schools, was asked to speak to um, a certain number of University of Winnipeg faculty members. And his topic was the naming of residential schools. And he was making the entirely innocent, utterly bland point mm -hmm. that so many of these had native names. Fascist. We cannot allow him to speak. If he speaks, we resign. Wow. So he was deplatformed for um, the most innocent and pablum like of, of assertions of truth. Right. So we have people that are being canceled, uh, people who are raising questions in good faith as part of the tradition in Canada of healthy debate and discussion. So in this day and age, what can we do in terms of realizing that we're kind of, are we at a fork in the road, uh, Dr. Bowler, in terms of um, this project called Canada? Are we going down a path where we may we may lose our country. Is are you that concerned? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Canada is not a necessary country. It, it's not a country that exists uh, for historical reasons or geographical reasons. It's not an ethnic state. Um, we we don't have a thousand years of history like uh, Luxembourg or or two thousand years of history like France. We are the frigid half of North America strung along the 49th parallel, bound by a set of negotiations. Mm. Yes, we don't wanna do this, but we will because you will do this for us. Okay. But these negotiations are coming apart. We are less and less um, tolerant and um, we are, are being continually divided. Uh, Yesterday, I, I went to the hospital and was asked my race, and I refused to answer. So you were asked your race. Why? Yeah. Uh, the Department of Health is collecting racial data. Hmm. Well, they can do without my particular uh, datum. Um, so anyway, that, that's what I mean. Um, the Faculty of, of Education at the University of Manitoba gives precedence to certain races, to certain mental health conditions, to certain genders. It discriminates against certain races, certain genders. That's no way to sustain a nation. So in many respects, uh, Jerry, you're, you're really challenging us to say, look, how do we open our eyes to what's happening in terms of attacks, not only on our history, but our shared values our agreements about how we work together in a civil way uh, in peace and that we continue to build our country rather than just tear it down. A lovely, lovely sentiment. Um, it's, it's very difficult when the enemy holds all the high ground. Um, when media in this country is dependent on the government purse through uh, technological revolution. 
Um, okay, so does this remind you of 1984 and the Ministry of Truth? I think of uh, George Orwell's famous book, 1984, where... Um, you know, there was the Ministry of Truth where they're erasing history and yeah. literally the newspaper. Exactly. That uh, only one point of view will be allowed. And when you have that, you have an easily manipulated populace that opens the door to all of the fascinating projects which our masters have uh, in store for us. So you've powerfully outlined, uh, Jerry, about how um, this type of perspective, this kind of radical leftist view has taken over many of institutions in Canada, particularly uh, the humanities of our universities. So what can a citizen do um, when they look at the changes of the Canadian passport to all kinds of other things that are happening around us? What is a positive call to action that we can take as citizens to deal with this? Canadians are historically by nature, I would say, not enthusiastic participants in the political process. And the fact is that a small number of radicals will beat an infinite number of people who only want to be left alone. Mm. So citizens will have to do the following. Every time they are outraged, write to your school board your city council, your provincial government, your federal government, your board, uh, whatever you happen to be um, offended by. You have to vote. You have to join a political party and be prepared to be disillusioned, to hold your nose at the process because every political party is... Um, a set of compromises. But 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 isn't the paradox that many Canadians are very nice people? We have a, a, a great culture in many ways, but if anything, we're almost too passive. So the call to action here is that you can speak up. I know that as a former elected official, it made a huge difference when people called our offices and complained or uh, commended us in terms of things that we were doing. It does make a difference. But if Canadians are too passive, I think what you're saying is that's what our future will be. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I could go off on, on another tangent here about the sort of people whom the political process attracts, but there's no doubt that Canadians have to be much more active. I, I, I hate to go back to Spiro Agnew, uh, and the notion of a silent majority. But I think there is a silent majority mm -hmm. in Canada that is upset by a lot of what they hear about themselves and their nation. Okay, so, so just to finish off the call to action, though, we have the opportunity not only to speak up as citizens, that's very vital, call your elected official and, and complain. Why isn't that uh, statue of Queen Victoria being rebuilt proudly? Um, I think also we have communities that are looking at canceling Canada Day, but there's been such a, 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 a response of outrage that now those, those Canada Day celebrations are continuing. Those are important, are they not? It is. And, and one thing I would say is that um, people who uh, subscribe to mainstream media ought to hang their heads in shame. You've got to put your money where people are finding out the truth. Go to places like Substack, 
go to think tanks like the Frontier Center for Public Policy and donate there. If you want your voice to be amplified, do it in places like that. Um, because the number of truth speakers in Canada is, is small, but it has to be increased. So join a political party, subscribe to reporters who are doing honest reporting, subscribe to research centers that do uh, honest and painstaking research. Well said. Jerry Bowler, historian, author, and commentator, as well as senior fellow at the Frontier Center for Public Policy, thank you so much for joining us to talk about why history matters and why your voice matters as well. My pleasure, David. Thank you for watching Leaders on the Frontier. We're a nonpartisan think tank. We explore ideas, policy, and practical solutions that can make a difference in the lives of Canadians. We do not accept any government funding. We work for you. Thank you for supporting Frontier. Visit fcpp.org to give. While you're there, be sure to check out our latest articles and research. Without open discussion and debate, you're not thinking, nor are you free. Comment below. We'd love for you to join the conversation.